Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, You Are a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. Welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Today's show is going to focus on protein and what the care partner and caregiver needs to know about protein intake as related to Parkinson's disease, the medications for Parkinson's disease, and helping your loved one maintain enough muscle strength to battle this disease. So first I want to talk about protein and mention that protein is really the main building block for our body, for our muscles, our tendons, our organs, our skin. It's also important for building enzymes, building hormones, and also building neurotransmitters in the brain. So protein intake is vital to so many human functions. And it turns out that the minimum requirement for a person who is mainly sedentary is to get about 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight. So for a sedentary man, this comes out to about 56 grams of protein per day. And for a sedentary woman, the minimum requirement would be 46 grams of protein per day. Now, this is the minimum requirement, and we see patients that are certainly not getting in these minimum requirements, but yet they are also uh, not sedentary. They may be very active in an exercise program. They may be very active um, in a boxing program. Perhaps they're going to the gym and walking at home, so they may be very active. Our patients who are doing weight training or weight resistance exercises uh, are certainly in need of higher levels of protein to rebuild those muscles and maintain their strength. So I want to give you an example. A patient of mine that came in um, probably later part of last year and This gentleman was living alone. Uh, He uh, was being watched very closely by his adult daughter, uh, who lived very close by to him. But she would bring over meals and uh, put them in the refrigerator for him to warm up. And she made sure that the pantry was well stocked with good nutritional food. But his desire was not to eat the food that was brought over to him. His desire was to have a little bit of sugary food in the morning uh, that he would uh, sometimes purchase on his own, or he would find something kind of sugary uh, that he would enjoy from what was brought over. And then he would find that he just didn't have much of an appetite. He didn't feel like preparing or warming up the meals. And so he would go through most of the day snacking, but not really eating any full meals. 
And over the course of just a few months, you could see a dramatic deterioration in his muscle bulk, his muscle strength. He became very weak. He became very frail looking. And his daughter noticed this uh, quite rapid decline. Uh, he wasn't getting very much exercise and uh, really deteriorated. And they came in to see me thinking uh, that maybe medication needed to be adjusted or a new medication may need to be prescribed to help the Parkinson's disease. But when we looked at things, we realized that really his Parkinson's symptoms, symptoms like the tremor, the stiffness, the slowness of movement, were actually doing quite fine. The carbidopa levodopa dosing was working very well for him. He was um, moving with adequate speed. I could not detect any stiffness in his arms or legs, and there was no visible uh, tremor or involuntary movements. But when we did muscle testing, it was clear that he had become very weak. Uh, most of the weakness was in the core muscles. So when we tested um, the abdominal back muscles, uh, the pelvic girdle muscles, and the upper leg muscles, uh, I detected quite a bit of weakness there. And you could see this weakness when he tried to stand up from the chair. It was now very difficult for him to stand up unassisted. He had to use his arms to push up, and it took him a few attempts to finally get up onto, onto a standing position. And then when he walked, you could tell that he was quite stooped forward from the weakness in the back muscles. He was shuffling. It was difficult to pick up his feet and legs as he walked, and it took him multiple steps to turn in the hallway to come back. And on top of that, the weakness was also creating some balance challenges for him as well. So we sat down and talked about this weakness. Uh, one major issue was the fact that he was not exercising, and we definitely addressed that. But then when we talked about nutrition and his diet, it became clear that there was a major problem here and that he was not getting in an adequate amount of protein. So we um, emphasized diet to this gentleman. We got his daughter involved in making sure that he was um, adding in some extra protein, which I'll talk about later in this episode on strategies to uh, improve protein intake. And we got his um, motivation back to, to follow this. Uh, and sometimes we have to talk to patients about the fact that if they continue on this path, uh, they might lose so much strength that they will lose their independence. You know, when I think a patient realizes that this weakness is going to lead me into the use of a walker or possibly not even being able to walk because my legs and core muscles are so weak, that really sparks motivation to look at any way possible to reverse this progressive weakness. Now, we got him back in, in, in shape. Uh, we got his exercise program going and we got his diet back. And I just saw him back here recently in the clinic and there was a major improvement 
in his strength. There was a major improvement in just the appearance of, of, of him just uh, standing up uh, more uh, upright, and you could just tell that he looked and felt stronger and performed much better on the strength testing. And so this can make a big difference. This is definitely a reversible problem, but it needs to be monitored. And I think us loved ones of our, of our patients need to uh, be a part of that monitoring system. We need to keep an eye on their diet. We need to keep an eye on the protein intake and do all that we can to ensure that they are getting a very nutritious dietary plan. So I want to go back to protein now and emphasize the fact that for those of you that are eating animal protein, you can get all of the essential protein that you need through animal protein. This includes meat, fish, eggs, dairy. And just to kind of give you some reference numbers, if you look at an eight ounce a piece of beef, this can supply about 60 grams of protein. So just that one piece of beef can give you the minimum requirement of protein intake per day. If you look at a filet of salmon, you can get about 80 grams of protein. So this, this is an excellent way to uh, increase protein intake in a very healthy and nutritious format, uh, eating fish. And then if we look at um, just eating a large egg for breakfast, um, that would give you about six grams of protein. So uh, we're not talking about the weight of the food, but we're looking at the grams of protein in the particular item. And so uh, this is something that's easy to look up if you want to um, Google uh, some of these um, pieces of, of meat, such as chicken and beef. Um, you can get an idea of what the grams of protein count would be for those items. And then on other uh, prepared meals, um, you can look on the nutrition list and see the grams of protein that will come in that particular food item. Now, for those of you that are eating plant-based protein, and trying to avoid animal protein, you can still get great protein intake through a number of uh, food items. So for example, um, eating uh, tofu can give um, anywhere from 10 to 20 grams of protein in three and a half ounces. Um, eating edamame um, can give great uh, protein intake. Lentils, 18 grams of protein, per one cup cooked lentils. Um, and if you look at other beans, such as chickpeas or kidney or black beans, pinto beans, we're looking at about 15 grams of protein per uh, cooked cup of bean. If we look at hemp seed, another great source of protein, about 10 grams per ounce. Uh, green peas can provide 9 grams of protein in one cooked cup. Kino, a very popular uh, food item, can give 8 to 9 grams of protein per cooked cup. 
soy milk is another way to add protein in. A lot of people like to make uh, breakfast smoothies and they'll use soy milk to give seven grams per cup of milk. We can add protein in our oatmeal. A half a cup of dried oats is about six grams of protein. Uh, chia seeds, nuts and nut butters, other great ways of adding protein in our diet. And then if you look at um, even vegetables, broccoli, spinach, asparagus, potatoes, and Brussels sprouts, you can get near five grams of protein per cooked cup of these veggies. And even some fruits like guava, blackberries, banana, nectarines can supply anywhere from two to four grams of protein per cup. So these are um, some plant-based protein ideas to share with you. But again, you can look up uh, these individual um, nutritional facts about the protein content of different foods. And you can also look at supplements. There are protein bars, so many choices now in the stores, many of which um, can taste like a candy bar. So if your loved one is sort of a sugarholic and loves to eat uh, sweet foods, uh, this is a great way to introduce 20 to 30 grams of protein in a very uh, small volume of food that can supplement the protein intake very nicely. And of course, there are um, supplements like Ensure and Boost and other small protein drinks that can be purchased, packed with lots of protein. But again, giving your loved one a small amount of liquid volume to drink uh, really works nicely to supplement if we're not getting enough through our meals. Now, if we're going to build muscle, then um, and, and we're going to do a workout program two or three days a week where we're doing resistance exercises as a Parkinson's patient, we're going to need to build back the muscles from those exercise programs and gain muscle, but also gain strength. So we are going to need more than just the 0.36 grams per pound of body weight. And you can go all the way up to about a gram of protein per pound of body weight. Now, it might be best to start out with a half um, or even 0.75 grams of protein per pound of body weight and work up from there. There has been a concern that if I eat too much protein, I'm going to damage my kidneys or I'm going to develop osteoporosis, but this is not true. There's no scientific data showing um, support for these claims. Now, if you do have kidney disease, you do have to be careful about protein intake. So you should definitely uh, discuss this with your medical doctors and find out what the safe amount of protein intake is for you if you have kidney disease. But with normal kidneys, um, this will not create a problem of increasing protein intake. And in fact, the, the studies do show that eating more protein can help to prevent the development of osteoporosis or weakness of bones and can also, of course, fight what happens during aging, which is sarcopenia, 
which is the loss of muscle. So we want to give our body enough protein so that it can rebuild muscles, increase muscle bulk and strength, and supply our body with uh, the necessary enzymes and hormones and neurotransmitters that it needs, uh, especially as we're fighting this disease. I'm going to shift now to um, talking about some other ways that you can supplement um, extra protein beyond just what I've talked about, some easy ways to add in some protein during the day. So uh, one advice would be to try to add in extra protein first thing in the day. Uh, this way, uh, your loved one has um, already a start on the protein intake for the day so that if the appetite wanes over the course of the day, we have a better chance of getting in an adequate amount of protein. There are good snacks that can be added in, you know, such as uh, uh, cheese. It can be a good um, snack item, giving you know, about seven grams of protein. Um, almonds are an excellent way to add protein snacks throughout the day. Um, Greek yogurt is also an excellent way. Uh, seven ounces of Greek yogurt provides 20 grams of protein. And for breakfast, if we look at um, maybe considering skipping the cereal and eating two or three eggs, this would give us you know, close to 20 grams of protein. Or we could eat a protein shake for breakfast instead of cereal or a small amount of oatmeal or toast where we're getting uh, more carbohydrates and not enough protein. We can snack on edamame. Again, a cup of edamame gives about 19 grams of protein. And we can also add peanut butter in. Uh, two tablespoons of peanut butter give about 7 grams of protein. So again, these are nice small snack items that can be added into the diet to help our loved one increase their protein intake. So now I'm going to shift to uh, protein intake and how this may affect the Parkinson's medications. And really, uh, the medication uh, group that we uh, most worry about as far as protein interaction is the dopamine drugs, the carbidopa levodopa, the uh, new extended release carbidopa levodopa, which is called Ritari, and the uh, combination pill carbidopa levodopa and tacopone which has the brand name of Stilevo. These dopamine-based natural medications um, do uh, compete with protein, dietary protein, to be absorbed into the brain fully. So uh, as, as you may know, um, as healthcare providers are instructing patients to take these medications on an empty stomach. And for many patients, especially early on in the illness, if we stay strict about this, if we take our medication, wait at least an hour before we eat protein, then we can typically get full absorption of the medication without interaction and get a nice, robust response from the medication. 
the rule also applies that if we have eaten protein, we should wait at least two hours before taking the next dose of medication. So the rule is uh, wait an hour after taking medication before eating protein or take the medication at least two hours after eating a protein meal. So for many patients, this works really well and they can uh, move their doses of medication out around the meal times and snack times. Uh, we encourage them to not forget that if they're going to eat um, a snack, if they're having some milk or even a bowl of ice cream, uh, they may think, well, that's not a meal. But again, the protein intake, if taken at the same time as a dose of medication, may interfere with the result of the medication. So if, if your loved one is noticing that their days are very inconsistent, that they seem to have good times of the day and then times when they're not doing so well, the first thing that I encourage those patients to do or the care partner is to go through the day and observe the meal and snack timing with the medication time. And often we will find a very nice uh, correlation there where, well, the afternoon's not going so well because we're timing the medication at the same time that we're eating a lunch that's full of protein and they're coming too close together and therefore sabotaging the response from the medication. So if we simply uh, re-time uh, the meals or the snacks around the dosing time, and that's the key part, we want the dosing to be anchored to the appropriate time intervals, and then we want to work our meals and snacks around that to avoid interaction. If we, if we go on meal times and then try to move the doses around, what we end up with is sometimes a too long spacing between doses. We might end up with one interval that's eight hours apart, and then the next interval is only three hours apart, and that can create problems. Uh, the doses are too close together. They can stack on each other and cause side effects. And if they're too far apart, then the benefits of the medication can wear off, and now more of the Parkinson's symptoms can come back, and give our loved one problems. So it's important to maintain the timing of the medication throughout the day and then work our meals and snacks around those times as best we can. Now, there, there are some patients, especially younger onset Parkinson's patients, that will have the challenge where even if they do the proper spacing of the meal the protein intake and the medication dosing, they still may find that the level of response of the medication is affected by the protein. So for instance, if they took a dose at 8 a.m., they waited to 9.30 to have their breakfast with the protein, and then once that protein started coming into their system, what was already sort of a very nice response from the dopamine was now, um, now deteriorated after that protein intake and they were doing far worse and feeling like they needed some type of a rescue. 
So the response that many of those patients have had is to avoid protein. And so they will um, have mainly small amounts of carbohydrates throughout the day, very limited protein intake so that they can get a very uh, smooth and consistent response from the medications. The problem with that, of course, is that um, we become deficient in protein with this approach. So even though the responses may be more consistent uh, over time, our muscles are going to atrophy, they're going to get weaker, and it's going to be harder for us to fight this disease. So we still need to get an adequate amount of protein in in this situation. So one solution to this is to minimize the protein intake, although small amounts can be taken throughout the day. But um, during the wake, wakeful part of the day, when we, we are active and wanting our best responses from the medication, we limit the protein intake. But then near the end of the day, when we're getting ready um, for the day to end and to go to sleep, then we can introduce um, a larger intake of protein at that time, even though it might sabotage the dosing around the bedtime, uh, hopefully we can sleep and avoid any problems that it creates, but still get the protein intake to help us <clears throat> maintain our muscle strength. So these are important issues uh, to talk to your healthcare provider um, have your loved one keep track, and you can certainly, as a care partner or caregiver, you can certainly be a very active uh, help and support to your loved one by helping them monitor protein intake and observing what they're eating for their meals and snacks and getting a rough idea of how much protein intake they are taking. You can share this information with their doctors and try to encourage them to get an adequate amount of protein in to continue their exercise program to maintain that muscle strength. So I hope this information was helpful. Um, please um, continue to work with your healthcare providers on adequate nutrition in fighting Parkinson's disease. And again, I thank you for your support of this podcast. I look forward to uh, future episodes with you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.